All right, and we are live. Welcome to another episode of Your Husband Needs a Girlfriend, exploring your relationships through my reality. Join the conversation with your host, Natasha Wright. And my guest today is Ricky the Cut Creator Burton. Mr. Burton, I know we've been going through some technical difficulties, but we are finally here. How are you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm glad to be here. I appreciate you having me blessed every day. So I heard about you through a friend of mine by the name of Tyrone Hunter. I actually did an episode on this podcast uh, a few episodes ago. Now, Tyrone is currently incarcerated. And when I spoke to him, because I usually connect with him every week, he shared with me that there was an article highlighting you and your success through health and fitness. So when I reached out to you, I figured, okay, he's a personal trainer. He works with celebrities. It's, you know, it's pretty direct. But then I started to do some research. And you are definitely not one dimensional. It looks like for the past 10 years, you have surpassed goals that many business owners in the same arena would have never accomplished. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but according to the report, you have over 300 employees. You oversee a brick and mortar location in Manhattan. Can you just share with the audience a little bit about yourself, how you transitioned from being sentenced to 10 years in prison to being featured on the news as an inspirational story? Well, uh, basically, it's just about dedication, you know, and believing in yourself. Uh, When I set out to start, when I set out on this fitness journey, I didn't know what it would entail, but I knew what I wanted to do. So I didn't know what would come with, with everything I wanted to do, but I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And that was basically take over the fitness arena. You know, I saw a lot of gaps. I saw a lot of places where uh, uh, voids could be filled. And I had enough time while I was incarcerated to sit down and think and implement this and implement that. So, you know, that gave me a lot of time to actually think before it was time to actually put forth that action that's needed to bring all this to fruition. So it was just about dedication and believing in myself. And after sitting and getting mentored by Tyrone T. Black, uh, there was nothing I felt I couldn't do upon being released. So I thank him a lot, too, you know. But it's just you you have to be dedicated. You have to be dedicated and you have to basically put your blinders on like they do the horses. You have to put your blinders on because it's a lot of chaos and it's a lot of tumult uh, uh, inside those walls. And you have to be a very thick-skinned person, strong person to circumnavigate all the BS and continue on your journey. Let's take it back a little bit because I don't want to get into your business, but I want to know who was the Ricky at 12 years old? The Ricky at 12 years old was wild. (laughs) The Ricky at 12 years old was 
basically trying to make a name for himself in the streets or set out to make a name for himself in the street. Because at that age, uh, uh, that's what I idolized. I played sports and I idolized the street guys, the older street guys, you know. Did you come so, from a two-parent household? No, I, I was raised by women. So I was raised by my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, people like that. All women were in the household from with us because I'm from a, a Caribbean background. So I was raised by a bunch of Caribbean women. Do you feel like because there was an absentee male in the home that it shifted how you presented in the street? Like, did you feel that you needed to be the man of the house? Yeah, of course, uh, uh, especially once I got to that age, like 12, 13 years old, and I had already been, you know, kind of navigating the streets and learning my way around the streets, hanging with older guys. I'm 12, they're 17, 18, so I'm learning a lot. I'm learning more than the average 12-year-old would learn as far as uh, 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 the streets, you know? So, yeah, I definitely feel like uh, be, the house being void of a, a father figure helped shape me the way I am today, if, if, if I might uh, word it that way. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. You grew up in Flatbush, right? Yes, East Flatbush, 50, East 53rd between Church and Linden. So I had a little stint in East Flatbush. I uh, lived with an aunt for about a year, and she was on 38th between Church and Linden. Not yet. I, I was going to say Snyder, but that's the other side. So that's the other side, Snyder. right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what I remember about the culture in Flatbush was that it was very connected, but also divisive, if that makes any sense. So everyone knew each other. The Haitians hung out with the Haitians. The, uh, the Panamanians hung out with the Panamanians. So everyone collectively was from the Caribbean but there were silos and those silos turned into groups and those groups formed gangs. And if you were not part of that group or a group, you were subjected to some, some harsh penalties, whether it was physical abuse, uh, verbal abuse, so you were just harassed. Tell me right. what your experience was like just getting up in the morning and going to school. Well, like for me, it was a little different because my crew was the crew that ran the neighborhood. So it, it, it was a little different for me. And we didn't really harass. We didn't go for that in the 50s. We didn't harass the people that lived in our neighborhood. Now, if you wasn't from the neighborhood, then you might 90 percent, 85 percent chance you're going to get harassed, you know, so because everybody want to know who is this in our neighborhood that we never seen before. But. For the most part, uh, in the neighborhood itself, my my guys basically ran the neighborhood, so I didn't have those type of problems, you know. So uh, uh, for me, it was more about eventually trying to get away from that type of stuff. But I we we in our in the fifties we did things different. Like we didn't mess with the older people from the neighborhood. We protected them. We didn't like if you were from the neighborhood, you were good. That's how we. That's how that was the culture in the fifties. Did you feel pressured to become part of this uh, this group so that you were protected? Or was that something that happened organically because your neighbor's son was part of these groups or it was just 
this is what you saw. Did you feel the need? Did you feel pushed into it? No, I didn't feel pushed into it or I didn't feel the need. That was something I wanted to do. I wanted to do that. Like I was, I've never been a follower. So like, that's why, like, I was always the leader. I am always the leader. Like I've never felt pressure to do anything I didn't want to do. If I don't want to do it, I don't do it. That was something I wanted to do since I was young. So now fast forward, you are 18 years old. What's your situation as a illegal adult? Well, now my situation is changing. You know, I'm getting to move around out of town by myself. I have, uh, I had just basically uh, got kicked out of school, college, because I was on a basketball scholarship. But, you know, you can't straddle the fence. You can't do both. So I was a basketball player that thought I was, I could be in the streets and do both equally as well. And that wasn't the case. The streets started to uh, have a stronger pull on me. And eventually I got kicked out of school. So uh, uh, at 18 years old, I was basically doing things that 30 and 40 year olds are doing at 18 and 19 years old. Did you have a specific goal or you were just riding things out? Like whatever happens, I'm just flowing. No, I did have a goal. I had a goal. I wanted to just stack so much money and then retire at 35 and just live the rest of my life. What does that mean, uh, the rest of your life? Because 35 is pretty young. So Yeah, but when you have when you have millions of dollars, you at 35, you could stop and then you could let that money work for you the rest of your life. And what does that entail? Does that entail like getting properties and having rentals or that was just going to another country and living off the land? Well, it, I, I didn't know about getting properties and stuff like that back then. I didn't even think about stuff like that. Now, what it would have entailed, yes, would I would have eventually like bought some kind of business, maybe a restaurant, a couple of laundry mats and just let them work, for, let, let them work for me you know, and in another country. Yes. <laughs> so now you are, I'm assuming you're in your forties. Yes. I'm 46. Talk to me about what your life has been like for the past 10 years. Well, for the past 10 years, my, my life has been a dream. I'm not even going to lie a dream because it's basically for me, everything that everything is playing out now that i used to think about and i used to imagine and i used to tell myself because i used to say like oh you're going to be in a lot of newspaper articles you're going to be on tv you're going to do this you're going to save a whole neighborhoods in different states not just in new york alone and those type of things have been happening so i haven't even had time to like celebrate rejoice because it's like so much blessings are happening back to back and then don't get it twisted you know along with the blessings because it's business so you got to take uh 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 
all the nonsense that comes along with it. You know, the paperwork, the banks saying no, and you got to take a couple of no's before you get a yes. And, you know, uh, uh, structuring this nonprofit over here while I still got running my LLC over here and running to this gym to make sure it's running right and running upstate New York for this program that we instilled, that we installed up there. And, you know, it's a lot. But uh, uh, heavy is the head that wears the crown. You know, so as long as you know that and uh, you have 100 uh, percent or close to 100 percent understanding, you realize that uh, all of this comes with everything you ask for. So you ask to be blessed with so much and now you have it. So now you have to deal with it, you know, and situate things accordingly to make it make sure that we keep growing. Operating a legitimate business is 10 times harder than doing things off the books. What inspired you to say, no, I'm going to do the paperwork. I'm going to do it correctly. I'm going to be consistent and I'm not going to fall back into my old habits. Well, for me, it's easy. I'm the boss. So I have to lead by example. So no matter how many days I get up and I don't want to answer these emails and I don't want to click these links and fill out all this paperwork. I have to do it. I have to do it for the business to grow legally, to grow properly, you know, because we, we, we want to be a household name in corporate America. So if we want to be a household name in corporate America, we have to do the things that everybody in corporate America does that puts them at the levels that I'm, aspiring to get to you know with this company so at the the legal route for me was the only way there was no other way this time around i did it the illegal route last time and it didn't work right now it's working successfully you know so i understand the difference now i fast forwarded your life by like 20 years let's go back a little bit to the moment that you are in central booking and they told you you were going to be locked up tonight. I thought I was going to beat it. I didn't really think nothing of it. You know, like I said, I'm very thick skinned. So I didn't think nothing of it. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do a couple of days in here. Then I'm going to bail out because I was on parole. So uh, you have a couple of days before parole puts a hold on you. So I was I thought I was going to get out before parole put the hold on me. Then parole put the hold on me. So when parole put the hold on me, now I had to go in front of the parole board, the state parole board. So when I went in front of the state parole board, they gave me 90 days. So I would have did 90 days and come home. Somewhere right before the state came to get me for those 90 days, the feds came to get me and they took me to court and stuff like that. So that's when I knew like, all right, this is serious. But I still thought I was going to beat it. I still thought I was above the law, you know, like the feds and eh, they don't have anything, which they didn't because I got I got incarcerated for a gun I never even possessed. They called it constructive possession. So I never had a gun. And the same gun I never had is the gun they charged me with that I did 10 years for. Still explain to this day, I've never to me. Explain, actually, explain it to the audience. What does that mean? You didn't have the gun, but you're charged for it. Right. So constructive possession, according to the courts, the best way I could describe it is 
uh, let's say we're in school and uh, you have a locker and um, let's say you have a knife in your locker, right? But me, sometimes I have the combination to your lock and I go in your lock, I go in your locker for, for a book or two, nothing to do with the weapon for a book. You have books that I, I, I want to read in your locker. So being so now police search your locker, they find the knife. They can arrest me and you, even though it's your locker, because I had access to your locker. I had the combination so they could charge me with the knife and not you and charge me with constructive possession because I frequent the locker and I have the combination, even though even if I wasn't even in the state at the time. So that's called constructive possession. But I almost feel like anybody could be charged with that. Exactly. And what it was is I found out when I went to trial because I went to trial. So I found out that I was under investigation twice and they couldn't penetrate the organization because I kept it so tight and so small. And that was the only way they could do it to charge me with constructive possession. That was the only way they could get me. And I, I get it now, thinking back in hindsight, they wanted me out of there because um, I'm from the city, I'm upstate New York, and I'm selling drugs a mile, a hundred miles a minute, you know? So they wanted either to lock me up for a long time or get me out of their town. And I guess lying was the only way they could do it or, 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 or incarcerating me under such BS as constructive possession. Do you know anyone else who's ever been charged and convicted of that particular crime? No, not at all. Not at all. I'm the first I ever heard of with that. I'm the first a lot of people has ever heard of with that. Do you think it would have been different if, uh, if you were white? Oh, by far by far of course that would have been it, it, because there was no gun i never possessed the gun so like if i was white it, i'm pretty sure it would have been way different especially up there in poughkeepsie new york definitely yes do you feel like poughkeepsie because of the culture and because of the the law enforcement the history of law enforcement and the type of people who live in poughkeepsie do you feel like that impacted what happened to you yeah, because, you know, the people are, the people up in Poughkeepsie, most of them, not all, but most of them, they don't know the law, you know, and those po those cops up there do whatever they want. You know, it's not New York City where everybody's sharp and hip and alert up there. The cops, the police do whatever they want. So the culture up there is basically uh, the cops said I did it. So I guess I did it. I got to go to Dutchess County jail and I'm not going to fight and I'm just going to do my time and come back out. And so they do, they do whatever they want up there. So that, that to me was the culture up there. The cops feel basically superior above the law. Can you walk me through what it was like to realize that you were going to be incarcerated for a long time? Can you talk to me about how you felt emotionally. And the reason why I'm asking this is not to make you feel vulnerable, but I I can admit that I never really think about mental health and emotions when it comes to Black men. 
For some reason, we direct most of our energy, our efforts, uh, our support to Black women, which rightly so, we need it, right? Because we pretty much carry everything. Right. But I do feel that our Black counterparts, our men, don't get acknowledged enough. And they hold on to these stressors that impact them long-term. And when they display whatever stressors in public, we criticize them or we're trying to emasculate them. So I wanna know, how did you feel? What did you go through and how did you overcome it? Well, it was like a gut blow. I'm not gonna, initially, that's what it was. It was like a gut shot, a shot to the gut that took all my wind. You know, but at the same time, like I said, understanding is everything. So I understood that I was in, even though I was innocent, I was in that situation because I was in the streets for so many years, you know? So if I would have never been in the streets, I would have never been in that situation. But initially, emotionally, yeah, it was like a gut shot. Uh, and because in 2004, when you tell me, I'm not getting released till 2014. At that time, it seemed so far away. You know, it seemed so far away. So for me, it was, it was a gut shot. But, you know, I tightened up real quick because that's the type of person I am. Like, I'm not going to cry over spilt milk. I'm not going to, like, worry or panic. I don't do none of that type of stuff. I'm going to wipe the milk up and I'm going to keep it pushing. Or I'm going to leave the milk right there and keep it pushing. It doesn't matter. Talk to me about something that you experienced while incarcerated that you never thought in your wildest dreams you would see or hear. Uh, something that I thought I would never see in my wildest dreams. Man, you see a lot of stuff in there. Um, You know, like it's so much you could see in there, whether it be stabbings you know i've seen stabbings up close and personal you know uh uh i not visibly witnessed but i've been in the vicinity while people are getting raped you know what i mean so it, 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 it it's a lot that comes along with that environment and that's why i say you have to have thick skin you got to be able to put your blinders on and circumnavigate the nonsense that happens every day because you know you're gonna especially on the level i was in the highest level which is a level seven so i was in all level sevens and you're gonna you're gonna go through and you're gonna see a lot at level sevens you know but there are also good aspects to certain to a lot of guys in there i should say a lot of guys in there there are a lot of good guys in there but you know some of the uh things that i saw that i thought i wouldn't see would you know typically the stabbings the rapes stuff like that you know, I noticed that when men reference uh, sexual assault in prison, they talk about it pretty casually. It, do people talk about it casually because it's just a common thing or you just don't want to get into it? No, you talk about it casually because, believe it or not, we're in there so long that it's almost like we're wired mentally to look at it as nothing, you know, mm. like. Uh, especially the people who are like me, who are minding their business. I'm minding my business. That doesn't have anything to do with me, you know? 
no matter what scream I hear, no matter what I see, that's not my business. Unless it's pertaining to somebody from my little crew, then it doesn't have anything to do with me. And you're just trained to mind your business. So that's, I guess that's where the nonchalance comes in. You know, when it comes to stuff like that, you just mind your business. How do you know who's a safe person to connect with because I can assume that people are getting close to people just so that they can decrease their time. They're making up, they're making up charges or they're helping to create charges that don't really exist so that they can get out of uh, jail a little earlier, not even jail, prison. Uh, how do you know who's a safe person? How do you know who's a real one? Well, at the end of the day, you go off your instincts. So... If you were really in the streets like I was, my instincts are high. Like my my instinctual, the instinctual factor that I have inside of me is very high, very high. So like I'm going to go off your energy. And then after after I go off your energy and I decide that I want to let you in my circumference on a daily basis, then we got to see your paperwork. Everything is paperwork. We got to see your paperwork because I want to make sure you're not a rat if you're a rat. You can't be in my circumference because we are not. Okay, sir. Mr. Burton, I need some clarity. What does that mean? Paperwork. Oh, okay. So uh, everybody in the feds, when they get locked up, uh, after you get sentenced, you get paperwork. So in your paperwork, if you went to trial, you're going to have your trial transcripts. You're going to have every bit of uh, paperwork, everything documented from the time of your arrest, from the time they put the cuffs on you. So uh, if you're a rat, there's going to be like a clause in your paperwork that says something like, I want to say it's like, a, um, I can't remember the number, but it's like a, a, a 501C, but we know that's a nonprofit, but it's it's a number like that, you know, where you, you'll know when you see that number, all right, this person told, this person is a rat. So it's going to be in the paperwork. And when you, upon entering level sevens, you have to present your paperwork anyway, you know, because if you're a rat, they're not going to let you stay on the yard. You're going to have to check in or somebody's going to hurt you. When you were locked up, did you ever come in contact with someone who was from your past? Maybe it's from the old neighborhood, people you've worked with, relatives, friends. Did you reconnect with anyone that you were familiar with? Oh, yeah. Along along my 10 years, I bumped into a lot of guys I know, a lot of good guys I know. Yes, I did. And and it was a blessing, you know, because I believe that uh, at the times when we did reconnect, we were meant to reconnect because I was at a, I was in a different place mentally. So I believe that God wanted us to reconnect. So I could spill all these jewels on them and give them a different outlook and aspect at life. So now you're out. You didn't survive these 10 years. You are trying to figure out running a business, personal training. What's the first thing that you do when you get out? The first thing I did was I started applying to gyms. Because you go to the halfway house. So I was in the halfway house. So I started applying to gyms. And it's funny that you asked that because 
Uh, the counselors in the halfway house, uh, uh, they're terrible for the most part. They're trash. It seems like they almost want you to go back in. They like bothering you and tempting you to go back in. So the counselors were telling me basically that I'm not going to make it because I'm not putting in applications to everywhere like McDonald's, Dunkin' Donuts, uh, uh, Panera Bread and all that type of stuff. But I was telling them I'm a trainer. I don't need to put in an a application to McDonald's. I don't flip burgers. I'm a personal trainer. I'm coming out here to be the best personal trainer in New York. That's that's what I want to do. So when I was only putting in applications to gyms, they were so discouraging, you know, and 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 they were being like real haters, you know. So but I ended up getting a job in my first gym real quick, like a month after I had been out and I never looked back since. Did you ever feel like you were going to be compromised or your freedom was going to be compromised if you didn't comply with their request to apply to other type of jobs? Yeah, but I, yeah, I did think that, but I was ready for that. I didn't care about that. I told them I'm not putting in any other applications to anywhere else. So if that's a problem, send me back, period, because I don't want to go through this with y'all anyway. You know, so I, it, it, you and it's sad because you have a lot of people who they do that to and mm -hmm. and the guys fold or they tuck their tail or, or or not even they probably feel like their back is against the wall. Like, I got to do what they say. I've been going this amount of time. I don't want to go back. But, but I was too sure of myself. I was too sure of myself. So it was nothing they could do to make me put applications into any other place but a gym. Not. After after being incarcerated for 10 years, why were you so confident? Because a lot of the guys that I was around, like my last four years incarcerated, were super dudes, super intelligent, super smart, super physically fit, super spiritually strong. Like, so... I fed off of all these guys for my last four years. And you had guys who had just come in when I was on my way out on their way in. Guess what they were teaching me stuff like Instagram and Facebook. Like I'm, but I'm talking about teaching me like drawing diagrams for me. Cause when I went in, there was none of that. It was my space, you know? So, uh, 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 when I came out, I, I felt even before I came out, I felt, uh, superior already as far as fitness, as far as what I knew, as far as what I was gonna know, you know? So uh, uh, T Black, once again, Tyrone Hunter. Uh, we have my brother, Mickey Monbranch, who's one of the top personal trainers down in uh, Florida right now. Uh, he has a couple of gyms down there. He's the one who taught me Facebook and Instagram. He taught me uh, marketing, promotions, uh, while T Black, on the other hand, was having me in his room and teaching me how to go about the business with Naturally Cut Fitness, why why I should call myself Ricky the Cut Creator Burton, uh, 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 who I should target, uh, why I should only target certain gyms, and he schooled me to that. So it was so much I knew coming out that a person in my position probably wouldn't have known if they wouldn't have come across these amazing, amazing men my last four years being incarcerated. Did you ever feel when, when you were getting advice from T Black, did you ever feel like, hmm, I wonder if this thing is gonna ask me for something? Uh, 
You know, no, I never really felt like that with T Black because our relationship was was so strong way before that, for years before that. Because when he's doing this, this 2012, I had met T Black way back in 2004, so I already knew him. I knew how he was. I know he's intense. I know he's, you know, he's on top of you right now. Everything for him is right now. I need right now, you know. So and but I was used to that, you know. So it wasn't about me thinking he's gonna want something it was more so about especially after i got out and realized like yo this thing is really working so it was more so for me like i have to give back to him because all of this is basically because of him i wasn't thinking about naturally cut fitness i wasn't thinking about ricky the cut creator I, w- I wasn't even close to thinking about any of that type of stuff so i was still at a point where he snatched me up where i didn't know what i wanted to do when i came home so talk to me about where you are with your business now. I know that you mentioned earlier that you developed a nonprofit, which is a 501c3. You also have your LLC, and that's probably how you make your uh, for-profit money. Tell me, like, what exactly are you doing? Are you doing personal training one-on-one? Is it a group setting? Well, we do it all. Right now, I'm actually the number one personal trainer in the tri-state area, and you could Google that. Ricky the Cut Creator Burton, um, president and CEO of Naturally Cut Fitness, founder of the Naturally Cut Experience, which is the 501c3. So uh, 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 the LLC basically fuels everything, which is Naturally Cut Fitness, you know, and we do everything. We do everything. We train athletes. We train Olympians because I, I train Olympic fencers we train professional basketball players we train actors actresses we train some of the biggest most wealthy ceos in the world um uh we train disabled people you know right now i'm training an amazing young lady named amanda you know uh uh uh, she has osteoporosis she has a lot going on but she's amazing and she works very hard. So basically, as far as Naturally Cut Fitness, we touch every facet of health and fitness. We train every genre, every shape, form, and fashion, you know? So there's no no group, no person left behind. And that's what I set out to do. I didn't just want to target a certain area of fitness. I wanted to take over fitness, period. So whatever uh, uh, apartments, whatever avenues, whatever arenas fitness have, I want to have my foot in every apartment, every arena, every situation. Yes, I, w- I want Naturally Cut to be addressing something that's lacking from all those areas, you know? Uh, and 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 that's what we do. When it comes to Naturally Cut Fitness, we train everybody, everybody. And it's not like we want to do it. It's something we have to do because we know what we know. We, we went to school for this. I didn't do mine over a computer where I could cheat and have my book right there. No, I went to school. All of us went to school. I sat in class. I took tests in front of people watching us. It was, it was no cheating when I took my tests, you know? So, like, for us, for everybody else, it's working out for Naturally Cup Fitness. It's a science. And when you see all of our employees and when you see me, you'll understand, like, okay, they all are in shape. We really live this. So it's it's easy for us to teach it and to for, to even force feed it to people because they know we really live this life. And then with the nonprofit, we 
train basically all of the city's top basketball players, soccer players, football players. And the way we got into that was during COVID. During COVID, when all the gyms closed down, we didn't close our gym down. So our gym stayed open throughout the whole COVID, and we had basically the whole New York City coming to our gym. So when all the other gyms closed, one of my ex-basketball coaches named Tippy, shout out to Tippy. Everybody knows Tippy. He's like one of he's like a basketball guru from New York City. Everybody knows him from NBA coaches to college coaches, Mike Shashevsky, John Calipari, everybody you can name, they know Tippy. So Tippy asked me to start training the athletes at our gym. And at first I had said no, because I'm thinking like the, the price is gonna differ. You're not gonna be able to pay these prices for those kids. But at the end of the day, I have an athletic background. I love sports. So when, when we double back and changed our mind, it only made sense. And then after a while, we were getting so many kids and doing so much as far as them and their schooling and switching this room to this school and training this person for this coach to get him ready. We said we might as well turn this into a nonprofit. So we started the Naturally Cut Experience, you know, which is a, a, a nonprofit that last year alone, we got 39 kids into college free of charge, like universities, though. You know, so and a lot of them we'll be able to watch on TV again this year. You know, last year we watched a lot of our kids on TV in the tournament, the NCAA tournament. We have a lot of guys in the pros. We trained Obi Toppin, people like that for the Knicks, um, Mello. Um, we trained a lot of boxers. Uh, 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 right now we trained Shushu. Shushu, uh, he's nine and zero right now. One of the top young boxers in New York right now from Brownsville, New York. Um, so our nonprofit, uh, even though it's mostly recognized for what we do in basketball, we train all sports. Like like I said, we do soccer. I train uh, uh, Lenworth Lopez. He just won the national championship at Iona in, in the NCAA men's soccer last year, you know? so. Uh, and like I said, we train Olympic fencers, things like that. So it's a lot. When I said uh, we set out to take over, that's what I set out to do. You know, I don't sleep much. I don't really care about that because I'm on a mission. And that's, that gives, that fuels me with more than enough energy, more than enough, because I, I had so much rest during those 10 years. Even though I worked out vigorously every day and played basketball, I still had rest mentally, you know? So now I have so much energy that all I want to do is make different things, different positivities manifest. And not just for myself, for other people as well. It sounds like you need to be writing a book. Are you working on something? Uh, a lot of people say that, but I'm working on so much that I don't have time to sit down and think about writing a book right now. At least that's how I feel. It might be a good idea to hire a ghostwriter where they can kind of like, you know, listen to you. You share the story and they put it together. That oh, way you don't have to sit in front of a computer and type it out, you know? You sound just like my partner. He says that all the time. He says I need a movie, my own movie. You know what I mean? Because there's a lot movie. more to this story if we were to sit down. Maybe you could help me with a ghostwriter. Because I'm a small business owner, I'm always consulting with people. So I definitely know a few people that can help you and are good. So not just a referral, but they're actually good at what they do. Okay. Uh, the other thing 
that I wanted to ask you. And I just have two more questions for you. I know you are super busy. Uh, it, I feel like in listening to you that you have lived several versions of your life, right? Because you've been the street dude, you've been the inmate, you've been the entrepreneur, and then you became a real man. And I want to know, how do you want to be remembered? Like, what do you want people to say about you when you're no longer on this earth? That I gave it my all with everything. I want I want people to say I gave it my all with everything, whether it was positive, negative, up, down, left, right. I gave 150%. I'm going to ask you one last question, and it's probably a question no one has asked you, but you could correct me if I'm wrong. Are you happy? Happy. I'm overjoyed. Okay. I'm overjoyed because I used to lay on my bunk at night and close my eyes and envision stuff like this and say to myself, it's going to be a couple of years before any of this is happening. I got a long way to go. I got, I, I used to see a mountain in my vision and I, I was at the bottom of the mountain, you know, now I'm in the middle of the mountain. So I'm overjoyed because I'm actually getting to see things that come to fruition that I only used to see in my imagination. Mm. And for that, I'm grateful. If, if you're not grateful for that, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Ricky, your story is really powerful. And uh, one of the things that I said when I was interviewing Tyrone was that I had this huge misconception that everyone who was incarcerated somehow, whether it was directly or indirectly, deserved to be there. And I think after growing up, and maturing and being exposed to information and understanding how uh, legislation works, understanding how racism works, and not just racism, how you feel racism, but racism that's so embedded in the school system, in society, in, in, in our law enforcement agencies, just how we treat black and brown women and men, I finally understand that it only takes a one misstep for someone to spend the next 40 years trying to catch up with their life. And mm -hmm. after working in, I used to run a homeless shelter and after working as a director and running a shelter, I realized that the system was rigged. And here I was thinking, I'm helping people. I'm, I'm placing them in housing. And, you know, I'm bigging myself up because I'm changing numbers and I'm being acknowledged as someone who's doing really well. When the truth was, those people were not equipped from jump to survive in these environments that we were placing them in because they would not be able to get a job that secured them enough to pay the rent long-term. So that person that you placed in housing came back to the shelter. And it's because you have to deal with things holistically. And that's how I feel about the prison system. 
they do not deal with inmates holistically. It's almost like it's set up for you to become a recidivist. If you are incarcerating people and they're doing their time, why should that record hang over their head? How are they going to work? How are they going to feed their families? And so it took some time. It took my conversations with Tyrone for almost 20 years for me to, to really understand that you don't have a chance. You know, this system does not allow black and brown men and women to breathe. And I'm really happy that you've been able to, to come out of this unscathed, lived your life, became an entrepreneur, did things that people who were never incarcerated, uh, you know, would do. And, and you're happy because that's important too. Nobody really talks about that word, that magical word, happiness, but that's just as important as money. And I'm glad that you've been able to accomplish both. Thank you. Thank you so much. And it's still a lot more to accomplish because uh, I want to be happier. You know, it's still a lot that I've envisioned on those bunks that are still not accomplished yet, that are going to be accomplished. So it's a lot of footwork that I got to put in and I'm willing to do it because somebody has to do it. So, you know, right. I'm that somebody. Do you have any last words for the audience? Just anything that you would like to say, or if you want to advertise your business, give uh, contact information, phone number, email, social media. Yes, you can find us on Naturally Cut Fitness uh, on Instagram, naturally underscore cut underscore fitness, or you could go to our nonprofit page, naturally underscore cut underscore experience, Facebook, Ricky Burton. Uh, our gym is on 155th East 3rd Street between Avenue A and Avenue B. Uh, we're doing amazing things. Send your kids to us. Uh, if you, what you're aspiring is for your kid or your athlete or even you to excel athletically, you could send them to us at the Naturally Cut Experience. If What's the minimum age? Six years old. We start as young as six years old. We have six-year-olds as well. So okay. if, if, if what you're aspiring is for you to excel athletically, we're the place for you. We're the place for you. And if it's just regular fitness... Uh, you want to lose weight, you want to lean up, you want to trim up, you want to bulk up, you want to get muscles. We do all of that. We do group fitness. We do small group fitness. We do one-on-one -on -one personal training. We do drop-ins. So I have trainers that I have that if you don't want to leave your building or your apartment, they'll come to you. You know, we do all of that. We have stretch sessions. We do things like that. And for, uh, 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 for the most part, we're on LinkedIn as well, too. LinkedIn, Ricky Burton, Naturally Cut Fitness. Uh, last words. All I want to say is two, th two things, two different things. First, one thing, this thing got me through 10 years. Keep to the forefront of your mind, the forefront of your mind that tough times don't last, but tough people surely do. That's number one. Number two, lastly, there can only be one way. And that's the naturally cut way. Thank you, Ricky. You're very welcome. I thank you. I appreciate you. And it was a pleasure sitting here and talking with you. 
I hope you guys enjoy this episode. As you can see, I try to be as creative as possible in producing uh, topics that you're interested in. You guys really love the Tyrone episode, so I thought this would be a great supplement. And if you're interested in following up with Ricky, I will give all the information on the YouTube channel. I have finally gotten the YouTube channel together so that you'll be able to get in contact with him. All right, guys, until next time.